if uh, you asked me to bench press 200 pounds, <laughs> yeah, Darby's laughing already. I could not do that. I am incapable of bench pressing 200 pounds. And no matter how hard I tried or how much effort or energy I put into it, no, uh, no matter how much time I devoted to it or how much I wanted it to happen, I just, I couldn't bench press 200 pounds. I just don't have the, the muscle strength to lift 200 pounds. If you asked me to run a marathon, I could be like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I wanna do that. Uh, but no matter how much I wanted to do that or how driven or passionate I was, I wouldn't get very far. Chelsea ran a marathon last weekend. Uh, she's out of town this weekend, but she ran a marathon last weekend and she trained so that she could have the lung capacity and the muscle strength to run a marathon. She was running seven and eight miles a day so that she could run 10 miles and more in a marathon. I haven't been training. I haven't developed my lung capacity or my muscle capacity. And so I wouldn't be able to run a marathon. I wouldn't be able to lift 200 pounds because I don't have the muscles to do that. But if I worked out with smaller weights, right? If I built up my strength lifting smaller weights, I could then lift heavier weights and heavier weights and heavier weights until I get to 200 pounds. I could build up the muscles I needed. If I started running smaller distances, rather than just running to the fridge and back, but actually running a little bit farther, then I could build up the lung capacity to run a marathon. This isn't rocket science, right? Building up our physical capacity through physical exercise gives us the strength to do more things. It builds our physical muscles when we exercise physically. In the same way, when we exercise spiritually, it builds our spiritual muscles and develops what we're spiritually capable of doing. Now, if you've been here very long or if you've been here before, you've probably heard me say that we all exist to become students of the way that Jesus lived and loved, the way that Jesus treated people and the way that Jesus impacted our world. I think if everyone lived and loved like Jesus, the world would be a better place. Regardless of who you think Jesus is or what you think Jesus was like, I think that if everyone lived and loved like Jesus, the world would be better and our lives would be better. I think our companies would be better and our families would be better and our nations would be better and our world would be better. But living and loving like Jesus is spiritually heavy work. It's no one just wakes up and they're like, I think I'll try it. And, I mean, it's going to take a lot of spiritual heavy lifting. And if we're going to do that, we need to develop our spiritual muscles by doing some of these spiritual activities, these spiritual exercises that Jesus did. For instance, Jesus asked us to do some things that are just spiritually hard to do. They're spiritually heavy. Jesus told us to love our enemies and do good to those who mistreat you. That's a hard one. If someone hurts you or if they hurt somebody I love, sometimes it's easier for me to forgive someone who hurt me than it is for me to forgive someone who hurts someone I love. Jesus told me to love them, to pray for their good, and to do good for them. That's a spiritually heavy thing to do if we're not building up our spiritual muscles through spiritual exercise. Jesus also told us to never be anxious about anything. Man, that's a hard one, right? I've had a week full of anxiety and worry and stress, and how am I supposed to do this? And I think a lot of times we read these commands and we're like, I just can't do this. I try, I want it, I pray for it, but we never build up our spiritual muscles. And it's like me looking at marathon runners and saying, I want to do it, but every time I try, I just collapse mid-race. Because I haven't built up my spiritual muscles, I can't endure a long spiritual race. These commands are impossible if we don't develop the spiritual muscles through daily practice of spiritual 
exercises. Uh, when I was in Tennessee, I was teaching this one young man how to live and love like Jesus. I was discipling him, teaching him to be a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved. And he had a crippling addiction to pornography. It was so crippling, it was affecting his uh, relationship. It was uh, his romantic relationship. It was affecting his home life. It was affecting his work life. It was affecting everything in his life. And he kept praying, God, just take it away. Just take it away. Just take it away. And he just kept going back to it. And I think a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're saying, God, just help me run this marathon. But we're not putting in the exercise to actually build up the muscles to run the marathon. God's saying, I want you to run the marathon. I gave you the muscles to run the marathon, but you haven't developed the muscles. You want the quick and easy path. You want me to just supernaturally do it when I've already empowered you to do it. So when, as a follower of Jesus, God has already given us the spiritual muscles to live and love like Jesus, but he lets us develop those muscles or allow those muscles to atrophy. Spiritual exercises give us the spiritual strength to live and love like Jesus. The old cliche is, right, if a, if a wife can't get the jar of pickles open or whatever, she takes them to her husband and says, open this jar for me. What's well, opposite in my household. Like, if I can't open something, I take it to Darby, and I'm like, hey, Darby, open this, because you're stronger. Why? Because when we sit around at night and we're watching TV or something, and I'm like, sitting there like a blob, you know, eating Cheez-Its or something. Darby's over here with these little weights, like she's always like working out or exercising or moving her arms. And because Darby does these small exercises all the time, she's stronger when it comes to these things. And so we need to be spiritually exercising all the time. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can implement spiritual exercise into our daily lives. And as a result, build up our spiritual strength so that we can live and love like Jesus. I think that these spiritual exercises, what are sometimes called the spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith, must be committed to individually, but they're enjoyed best in community. Now this is the same with physical exercise, right? No one can commit to go to the gym for you. You have to commit to it for yourself. But if you go with other people, it's a lot more fun. Right? If you go to the gym with your friend and you weightlift together or you run on treadmills together, then it's a lot more fun than going by yourself. So you're going to have to make a personal commitment to these spiritual exercises, but we're going to enjoy them together, and it's going to make them more enjoyable when you go through it together. That's what the church is. Together we're walking through these spiritual disciplines. So we're going to talk about how to weave these practices into your everyday life over the next few weeks. And here's just a quick snip, um, a quick snapshot of the ones we're gonna cover. We're gonna talk about solitude and silence, taking Sabbath, self-denial, supplication, submission, service, scripture, simplicity, and sharing. And all these are key practices in the life of Jesus that allowed him to live out this, um, this present, to live in the presence of God and impact the world around him. If we don't work out our physical bodies, what happens? They get unhealthy, right? And I was going to put a screenshot up of like an 800-pound person, but I was like, it's too disturbing to look at. But for a lot of us, we physically look like we're all together. we like, oh, they look pretty nice. They look healthy. But spiritually, if you could see us, we look like an 800-pound man who can't get up off the couch. And if you invest in your physical health but not your spiritual health, half of who you are is going to be a wreck. Half of who you are is going to be a mess. You need to be spiritually healthy by doing spiritual exercises. 
Just as if you always ate garbage and you never exercised at all, your body would be unhealthy. That's how some of our souls look because we've never implemented these spiritual practices into your life. Okay, now a quick warning about spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines. These do not make God love you more. If you practice these things, God's not like, you know what? Now I love you a little bit more because you're doing stuff. God loves you immensely. He loves you enough to come and die for you. That's exactly what he did. He came into the world in the form of Jesus, and he died for us before we were even born, before we even messed up. He said, I'm going to send my son Jesus into the world to die in your place for your crimes. On the third day, he rose again, and he invites anyone to put their faith and trust in him and to live in his eternal love forever. And so doing the spiritual disciplines don't let don't make God love you more, but it's how we lean into the love he already has for us. I'm not a hugging person. I know sometimes people in here, um, they're like, oh, Alex, let me give you a hug. And I'm like, okay, you know. And so if anyone has ever hugged me, you probably notice I lean out of a hug. You know, people go in for a hug and I'm like, ah. And it's not that I think you're gross or I think you're strange or anything. I just don't like hugs. But some of us are like that with God. God wants to wrap us up in a bear hug and we're like, eh, I'm going to lean away from that. And practicing the spiritual disciplines or exercises are how we lean into the love of God, how we enjoy it, we embrace it. We're essentially cooperating with what God wants to do in us and through us. We're leaning into his love. Now, God is always using circumstances and people around you to teach you to live and love like Jesus. But the spiritual exercises are how we lean into learning and we say, you know what? I want to learn this. I don't want to resist it. I want to embrace it. Have you ever tried to give a small kid a bath and they don't want to take a bath? At the end, they might be wet, but they probably didn't get very clean and it wasn't a very enjoyable process, right? But if you have a kid who's like, oh yeah, I need a bath, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're not splashing water everywhere. He's really going to get clean and the whole bathroom's not going to be ruined, right? And so for us, spiritually in that sense, we're saying, God, clean me up. I'm going to get in the bathtub willingly. I'm going to practice a spiritual discipline so that I can move forward. So all that was the introduction on spiritual exercises. Now we're going to look at our first one today, which is solitude and silence. It's not a surprise, right? We live in a busy, noisy world. It's really hard to sit quietly, to turn the radio or the TV off. If you're in your house alone, what do you do? You're like, man, it needs some noise. You turn on the record player or you turn on it. That's not because I'm from 100 years ago, but we have a record player because it's cool now and trendy. And uh, you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio, you turn on uh, Spotify, you know, because we're, we constantly have to keep moving and keep ourselves distracted. Even if we fall asleep, what do we do? We have this glowing screen in our hands as we're falling asleep until... It falls to the ground. We, like, we constantly have to have something going on. And we're overstimulated as a people, and we're under-motivated. We're constantly entertained. We're chasing the next entertainment high, but our souls are dry. And we're empty inside. And we haven't processed what's happening to ourselves, what's happening inside of us, and we're distracted, and everything is bombarding our external senses, and we're not doing anything to develop our internal senses. We need to relearn the spiritual exercise of silence and solitude. In every one of the disciplines, 
These were practices that Jesus modeled for us while he was on earth. In each of these, as we look at these over the next few weeks, we're going to see that Jesus practiced these first as an example for us. And this first one we see in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And here's what's happening. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over his body. And he saw Jesus and he fell down before him and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. Now that's huge right there. The man had leprosy. No one touched someone with leprosy because it's highly contagious and they were afraid of it spreading. They usually quarantined them outside of the city. Only other lepers would touch a leper. This man had probably not been touched by someone who didn't have leprosy for a long time. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing to be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left the man. And then he ordered the man, don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so essentially they had some roles. If you had leprosy and then you were healed of leprosy, you had to prove that you no longer had leprosy before they let you back in the city. And so Jesus said, hey, go through the process to prove that you're now clean so they let you back into the city. But the news about Jesus spread more and more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And so here Jesus is. He, the word about Jesus is getting out onto the streets, and people are flooding in. You know, big crowds are coming. The opposite of what's happening here, right? Big crowds are coming. And what happens? Jesus says, hey, I got to get away from the big crowds. I got to get by myself. I got to get out in the deserted places and pray. Jesus healed a man and suddenly there were thousands of more people who needed healing. But Jesus left the crowds to spend time alone. Verse 16 tells us that he often withdrew to deserted places. This wasn't something that just happened one time and he's like, man, I really need a break. Taking a vacation to the wilderness. It says he often did this. It was a constant practice for him. And we see that throughout his ministry. I could have gone to several places. Before Jesus started his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Um, in Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out, made his way to a deserted place, and spent time there praying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, Jesus went alone to this garden at night so that he could pray and process what was happening to him. So here we have God in human form on earth. And what does he say? It's overwhelming. I need to get away and spend some time by myself in silence and solitude to process what's happening inside of me and what's happening to me. And yet we think that we can just constantly never stop and keep running and never have any quiet solitude and we'll be fine. If God practiced the spiritual exercise of stopping, slowing down, and processing what's happening in his soul, we need to do that same thing. Jesus left the crowds to find quiet places, and in our fame-obsessed culture, we shun quiet places and look for spotlights. We want to be around crowds and people because then I don't have to think about what's happening inside of me. If I stay busy enough, surrounded enough, entertained enough, then I don't have to deal with the grief and the pain inside of me. 
Jesus didn't get away here because everything was done. And I think sometimes we think, well, once I get all that done, then I'll take time in silence and solitude. Once I get all this finished, then I can take a break. If you don't choose to stop, you never will. Because there will always be something more to do. There will always be another person to heal. Jesus was doing good things here. He was helping people who were broken. But he says, hey, you know what? I need to take a moment and get away. There was still more to do. But he chose to stop because he recognized that it was healthy for his soul. In Psalms 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. When we're still, we recognize that God is God and we are not. When we slow down, we remember that God is in control and we are not. Or we can be busy and we'll start to think that we are God and he is not. The busier we are, the more likely we are to assume that everything rises and falls on us. Sleep is a daily reminder that God built into us to remind us that, you know what, the world keeps spinning when we're not awake to keep it moving. The world doesn't need us to keep going. It only needs him. If you try to be God in your life, you'll also bear the weight and responsibility of God. And your soul cannot handle that stress. My soul cannot handle that stress. When we slow down and sit in silence, we remember how small we really are and how big our God really is in comparison. We realize we don't have to keep it all together because we're not God. See, our busyness is really a soul sickness. It's a symptom of a soul that's never sat in silence and solitude and processed what is happening to it and what it's feeling and what is affecting it. Busyness masks our need to feel important. If we keep moving and we stay noisy and distracted, we don't have to process our disappointments, our fears, and our grief. But a grief ignored becomes a grief that leaks out slowly over every aspect of our lives. Like, have you ever held a balloon, like you blow up a balloon, and then you hold it, and slowly the air leaks out? That's what happens to our grief when we don't sit in silence and solitude to process what we're feeling, what we've been disappointed by, what we've been hurt by. And the air that comes out of a balloon, it is the foulest smelling air in the world, isn't it? Have you ever, like, you let a balloon go, and you're like, oh, gross. If air out of a balloon smells like latex and bad breath and just death and decay, it's nasty. And an ignored, an ignored grief will stink up our whole lives as it slowly leaks out because we never take a moment to sit still and process what our soul is feeling. We need moments to stop and process the effect that life is having on our souls. If you're a human being, you need silence and solitude just like you need air to breathe and food to eat. We can deal with our emotions or we can distract ourselves from our emotions. That's really the two options. And really our culture has embraced staying entertained, staying distracted, and staying busy so you don't process what you're feeling. And when that happens, it eventually leaks out in other aspects of our lives. Silence forces us to get to the why behind what we're feeling. Sitting in silence is not wasted time, it is spiritual work. I was talking to some people, uh, some older, wiser pastors, and I said, hey, which of the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual exercises, do you struggle the most with? And you know what they all said? Silence and solitude. This is the one that's the hardest in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about some other things that Jesus practiced, things like fasting, things like sharing what we have with other people, things like serving and sacrifice. But the hardest one is going to be silence and solitude. 
Will you stop and sit and listen to your soul? Sitting silently prepares our souls to be productive when we work. And psychology agrees with the Bible on this. This isn't something where the Bible says something and psychologists are like, well, I don't know about that. That seems far out there. Psychologists are like, the Bible's right about this. We're an overstimulated, overly distracted culture. We have become more connected with technology and anxiety and depression and stress levels are the highest they've ever been. They said that the average millennial, someone in the 20 to 30 year old range, they have stress levels equal to what they used to lock someone up for in the 1950s. If your stress and anxiety levels were that high, what the average millennial has, if they were that high in the 1950s, they put you into a mental home to process that high level of stress. But we live in a world that more and more we're technologically connected, but we're relationally disconnected. We never disconnect from a constant stream of entertainment and overload, and it is spiritually killing us. Psychologists found that people who took time to sit in silence and solitude as a discipline have lower blood pressure, have less depression and anxiety, and have a better outlook on life. They saw a direct correlation between people who practiced silence and solitude and people who had less heart disease and heart conditions. Now, this is not easy for me. I talked about how it was hard, one of the hardest spiritual disciplines as I talked to people about their experiences. This one's not easy for me. I like to stay busy. I like to keep moving. I want to achieve and accomplish. But if my soul is unhealthy, if your soul is unhealthy, everything else you do and touch will ultimately be unhealthy. So this week I started practicing in a very stress-heavy week. I started taking 30 minutes each day and I would take a walk. There's a little trail near my house and I would walk down to where there's a duck pond and the baby ducks have just hatched and, and I would sit down there for 30 minutes in silence and solitude. And, and I would take time. Sometimes I would pray. Sometimes I would just process. Uh, sometimes I would recite scripture to myself and sometimes I would just sit there in silence. And what I found is Instead of shoving what I'm feeling down and starting to actually work through it and process it, I could face the next stressor that came along with more of, more of God's power and presence and less fear and anxiety. When was the last time you sat in your home without the TV on or music on or people or looking at your cell phone? One of the hardest things for me is, is in the 30 minutes of time, I turned my cell phone off. And I sit there for 30 minutes watching these ducks swim around in this pond for 30 minutes. And that 30 minutes feels like 3,000 hours. But what I find is when I slow down and I stop, that's when I hear God speak to me. When I slow down and I stop, that's when I deal with my grief instead of ignoring it and shoving it down and trying to mask it or trying to um, ignore it and having it leak out in other places. Silence allows our souls to speak to God and God to speak to us. So many times I think people struggle to pray because we've never stopped enough to hear the prayer that's in our soul that our soul desperately wants to say to God. We're constantly distracted and we're trying to give a distracted prayer to God. After sitting silently for 30 minutes, it's easy to pray. 
I've prepared myself to speak to God. Your soul is starved for silence and solitude. We live in a culture and a world that does not create space for silence and solitude. But you, your soul needs it. Just as if you were gasping for air, your soul is gasping for silence and solitude. Your soul is screaming for silence. And so with each spiritual exercise, we're going to talk about how to implement this into your daily life. <coughs> Excuse me. Spiritual exercises, like I said, have to be committed to individually. I can't commit to you enjoying silence and solitude. That's something that you have to commit to. But it is something that you can enjoy with other people. And you say, Alex, how can you enjoy solitude and also enjoy it with other people? Here's what I'm going to suggest. As we talk about committing to this as an individual, block out 30 minutes in a day where you say, for 30 minutes, I'm going to turn off my cell phone. I'm going to turn off the television. I'm going to turn off music. I'm going to sit quietly. It can be inside. It can be outside without music or TV or distractions. I'm going to block out 30 minutes and sit quietly with my God. I'm going to process what's going on in my soul. Maybe you'll pray. Maybe like me, you'll recite some scripture. Maybe you'll just sit and you'll process what you're feeling and why and how God's working in it. Maybe you say, you know what? I can't give 30 minutes a day. Well, then I suggest once a week you take an hour and you sit quietly in silence and solitude with your cell phone off, without music or TV or distractions. And then in community, what I want you to do is someone else who's committed to practice this in their everyday week or their everyday life, share and say, hey, you know what? You're doing this. I'm doing this. Can we talk about the experiences that we're having together? And this is where the community aspect comes into. You're going to practice this individually. You're going to commit to this individually, but you're going to come together with somebody else and say, look, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm experiencing. What are you experiencing as you sit silently and quietly with God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming into this world, and we know ultimately you died in our place to save us from our sins. You came back to life to invite us into your life, but I'm so grateful for those three years we have recorded of how you lived and loved and ministered. Lord, you told us at the end of your life when you ascended to heaven, you said, Go everywhere and teach everyone to practice what I taught, to practice what I lived, how I loved. And Lord, I pray that we will take this example that over and over again we see in Scripture where you go away to a quiet place. You go away and sit in silence and pray. And Lord, I pray that you will make us a people who are spiritually healthy because we practice the same spiritual exercises, the same spiritual disciplines that you practiced in your life. God, I pray that this just won't be a message that we hear, but it'll be a message that we implement, that we'll begin to develop our spiritual muscles by following the same spiritual behaviors that you followed. And God, I pray for those who say, you know what, this seems too hard, this seems too big. Lord, I pray that you will give us the courage and the supernatural strength to take this small step to start spiritually exercising our souls so that we have the spiritual strength to live and love. I pray all these things like I believe you would pray.